It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Can you imagine not having a conscience that no matter what you did, no matter who you hurt, you never felt any shame or remorse? How about having no empathy whatsoever, no ability to understand and really feel others' feelings? I cannot imagine. Virtually nothing in my life would be as it is without empathy or a sense of of right or wrong. I mean, it's why I do this show. It feels really everything. I, I, I cannot imagine because I have empathy. (laughs) I'm guessing many of you can relate to yourself. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, where good girls go for sexual empowerment. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I have been looking forward to this episode for weeks. Get this. Experts estimate that up to 4% of the population are sociopaths, a term that many people use interchangeably with psychopaths. So you may be wondering, what's the difference? I wondered too. Uh, They do share many traits, and some people really do see them as the same thing. But doctors use a different umbrella term for both. They call it antisocial personality disorder. According to the current uh, DSMV, which stands for um, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, this disorder is characterized by a, quote, failure to conform to social norms, impulsivity, deceitfulness, and a lack of remorse. Many psychologists believe that the difference between psychopath and sociopath is whether or not they have a conscience. So sociopaths are believed to have um, a very weak conscience. So they have some sense of right versus wrong, just not enough to, in many cases, um, alter their behavior. Whereas psychopaths don't have any, which you can imagine would be a lot scarier. It can be extremely difficult to tell the difference, I'm sure. I mean, how do you prove whether one feels remorse, right? Especially when they're so skilled at faking it. Um, I don't know. I don't have that answer. It's considered a spectrum. So there's narcissist, which that's people who thrive on having the whole world, everything, revolve around them. Uh, And then there's sociopath. And sociopath is basically, they tend to be narcissistic, but they also lack empathy. So that's the difference there. And psychopaths who are narcissistic and lacking in empathy also have no conscience at all. So for the sake of this show, we will primarily use the term sociopath. And I think, you know, what matters most isn't the verbiage, right? It's the scenarios, the warning signs that someone that you care about is on the spectrum, how to, you know, heal once we're in that situation or protect ourselves from from harm, you know, should we become involved with one. It's also really important to note that not all sociopaths are violent or criminals, you know, contrary to what those of us who watch way too much Criminal Minds may think, uh, though they can be, both of those things. Uh, And they also can be male or female. A lot of people don't think of females as ever being um, sociopathic, well, depending on who you talk to, actually. But, you know, it's it's kind of the stereotype is that it's this, like, psycho killer man. Um, so we're going to go into uh, uh, basically the romantic side when you are romantically involved with one of these people. So there seems to be a genetic link, first of all, 
because, you know, it's it's natural to be curious, right? What causes this? What causes socio- sociopathy, which is a different difficult word to say, uh, but a kind of a fun one too. You should try it. So, sociopathy. See, I can't even say it. Sociopathy. It can be inherited, but um, there also can be you know, risk factors involved with growing up in a dysfunctional home or experiencing trauma or abuse, um, not being allowed to um, embrace uh, your sexuality if you're homosexual, for example, just something really traumatic of that nature. So nature and nurture can play a role in the development. Here are a few more common traits of sociopaths in the context of intimate relationships. Uh, Superficial charm. Charm, charm, charm. They will charm you, charm you, charm you. Uh, Intense, fast-paced romance. So a lot of times, and this was a case for me and and my relationship of this this kind, they take off really fast. Uh, They become serious very quickly. These people tend to um, have trouble or they fail conforming to social norms, so they might break a lot of rules. Uh, They're often possessive and out to get something other than affection and shared happiness. So that could be money. It could be you as a trophy. It could be both. Someone to take care of them. There's really no end to the list. Uh, They're incapable of love as we know it. And there's so much we could say about that. I'm going to talk to a psychologist next week and, and ask a bit more about that. But the way that we feel, you know, when we're when, when we're not sociopathic, love and intimacy, you know, a lot of that is empathy. We feel compassion and we don't want to hurt that person and we feel the hurt if we do hurt them. Over time or quite suddenly, a sociopathic partner is revealed usually as untruthful or insincere. Partners can become addicted to the relationship. I've heard so much about that from people who have been writing to me and calling me with uh, their stories. And the partner often ends up feeling quite trapped. It's a very difficult scenario to get out of if you are in a dangerous, harmful, um, abusive relationship with one of these people. Sex life is impersonal, trivial, or poorly integrated. Um, By the way, this is all from Psychology Today. Or use of sex as a control mechanism. We're going to talk about that with uh, our first guest today. Relationships tend to be troubled when they do happen, and they're often very short-lived. But I have also heard from women and a few men who've endured these kinds of issues for decades as the partner. So as I mentioned, I can relate to so much of this. Uh, Years ago... I met a man who seemed, of course, virtually perfect for me in every way. Uh, once I was deeply invested in the relationship, like we were on the forever path, right, I found out that he had been studying me the whole time, you know, and acting like this perfect, quote, perfect guy for me to win my affection, to win me into his life. He manipulated me in all kinds of ways. Um, and, you know, I hold myself accountable for For some of that, too, I think knowledge is power, and I had a lot of growing to do. I don't think that's always the case, and I don't think we should ever blame um, the victims when they're in these situations. But uh, he definitely conned me into moving in with him. Uh, He snapped seemingly suddenly and all of a sudden started having these violent outbursts that weren't directed at me, but they were about me, around me. And very, very, very difficult for me to deal with. Um, At one point, he chased a guy with a knife because he looked at me the wrong way. Quote. Seriously. And, you know, you could hear that and think, well, why were you still there? Again, it's so complex. Um, To love and fear someone at the same time and to see, it's almost like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. Two different people. It's profoundly complicated. And honestly, getting out and healing were some of the toughest things that I've ever been through. 
I shared um, a lot more about that story on my blog this week. So if you're interested, you can find it by visiting uh, the post for this episode on my website, augustmclaughlin.com, or by clicking blog when you're there. I've been so blown away by people's responses to that post. So if you do read it, make sure you go down to the comment section. Some really insightful people have weighed in, and I'm so appreciative. Today you'll hear from two remarkable women who've endured such relationships and brutally so. They found their way out to healing, starting with Crystal Rose. Crystal Rose is an entrepreneur with two companies. She's an author and speaker, a wanderlusting travel junkie. I love that. Health and fitness <laughs> fanatic, fiance to a professional athlete, the mother of fur babies. Also love that. And in her spare time, she volunteers with teenage girls. She loves to help others, as you can tell, especially women, and is easily accessible through all of her social media outlets. Uh, you can find her by checking out her website, xtalrose, which is xtalrose.com, or finding her pro- profile on theindiechicks.com, a fantastic, empowering website and organization. How are you, Crystal Rose? I'm so happy to have you today. I'm doing really well. How are you? I am well, and I've, as I mentioned earlier on the show, I've been looking forward to this so much because not only do I have personal experience with this kind of a relationship, but I know so many people who have as well, and I feel like there aren't enough conversations about it, and I just am so grateful that you reached out. Could you tell us what your first impression was when you met this this guy, the, the sociopath that you were in a relationship with? Um, well, we're going to call him A. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> um, he, when I first met him, um, you know, there was really nothing there. We just worked together. Um, I wasn't, I didn't really have any feelings whatsoever about him, um, until he started to pay attention to me. And that's really the first thing I noticed was that he paid such close attention. He, He had only asked me once what, you know, my Starbucks drink was, and then he would bring it to me every so often. So he paid a lot of attention to detail when we had conversations. He would remember things that were, um, you know, important to me. I was like, wow, I can't believe he would remember something like that, you know? So I think that that right there off the get-go was the first real thing I noticed about him. I've heard that there's a term that... um some psychologists use when they talk about these kinds of relationships about the love bombing period, which made me laugh because, you know, it's that it's like this pow, pow, pow of like, just, you know, Oh, he totally gets me. He's doing all these wonderful things for me. And, uh, that that's very interesting and, and relatable for sure. Did you find him? Mm -hmm. I know oftentimes it's like they're extra charming. Was he, what was he like? Um, his energy and his kind of, you know, how did you first, would you have described him then? He was actually pretty um, mellow. And I've, I've known that, you know, the charmers and um, my dad was actually one. <laughs> but, you know, the, the kind of the wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, he was more, more quiet and calm and soothing and kind and sweet as opposed to it wasn't really interested in getting anyone else's attention but mine. Mm. Um, so it was very, it was very, it like sucked me in, um, especially because at the time I was in a relationship with someone I wasn't very happy with. Um, I've been with him for so long, I just stopped really believing that, you know, real love was out there. And then I met this guy who just really seemed to care. So that was a, 
that was essentially what, you know, started to suck me in with that, um, the, the paying attention and the being kind and sweet. And he was very chivalrous. I mean, he would, we walked down the street together and he would take me by the elbow and guide me to the inside of the sidewalk as opposed to the outside, things like that. Wow. Which in some ways could be even more kind of seductive because it's very unassuming. And I think it's such a good Mm -hmm. point to bring up because when we hear about these charming people, it's not always this kind of sales pitch type thing, which would turn a lot of people (laughs) off, you know? So that's, that's very interesting. I also heard from many women actually that it wasn't the only relationship, like they were in another relationship when they met the person. Do you feel like he wanted to kind of, because you were a bigger challenge that he wanted, did he know you were in a relationship? Did he try to like lure you out of it? He knew I was in a relationship. Um, and, but I had been actively like a cheater. And I, I told him that, you know, I was just like, I haven't been happy. I kind of do whatever I want. Um, you know, I, I didn't really find a reason to hide things from other people outside my relationship. Um, so I was very open with that. And he would, after, after he made it very clear that he was interested in me, he didn't, he didn't have any regard for my relationship whatsoever. And then we kind of fell into, um, seeing each other. And I actually went on vacation very shortly after he and I started to each other and he talked every single day and he was like, I hate that you're there with him and the whole month that we kind of fell into this whirlwind it was um you know he would always talk about my current boyfriend with disdain and not wanting me to even just a shower or, or get you know clothes or anything because I would be with him interesting so, so he definitely wanted me for himself yeah um, made that clear yeah, which, you know, like you said, in some ways it feels like attention, like somebody really just cares about you. You know, it sounds like you were in a place in your life, too, where you had, as I certainly did, I, ha- I had so much kind of self-work to do. And I feel like sometimes yeah. that makes us more vulnerable. Not always. Um, and it's never our fault. Yeah. But I, I think it can for sure. So you said that you didn't really see the signs until later. But looking back, what were the signs that, that he was toxic in this way? Um, definitely the love bomb, like you mentioned, you know, he was very quick to, um, develop feelings. I, I love yous and, um, wanting to move in and, and move very, very quickly. So, which, you know, if you're a woman looking for love and it's, it's done and said in all the right ways, you just are kind of like, what, this is what I've been waiting for. Um, you know, I wanted those butterflies. I wanted to feel like that from someone and I, and I hadn't had it. And then when he came along, it just exploded. So that that's a huge one. You know, I think it really takes a lot longer for men to develop feelings. Um, they may say that they love you off the bat, but it's harder for them to show it. And their love deepens over time. And I think with sociopaths, you don't, they don't know what it looks like. And so they just kind of emulate what they feel like it does look like. Oh, true. Or what they yeah. think it should. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and, and I think as women, especially in a vulnerable spot, and this, you know, this little package is presented to you in a way that's it's really irresistible. So that is one of the major um, first signs. And then another one, which I feel is very, it's so sneaky, um, because 
I'm not the kind of woman who lets men tell me what to do. You know, why would I, why would I do that? <laughs> of course. And he started with just really simple, easy requests. So it started with, hey, you know, when you work um, for this company and you wear that uniform, you know, your skirt's kind of short. If you could wear shorts under that, like, I'd really appreciate it. And to me, that wasn't a big deal. Why would I, you know, what am I going to say no? Uh, when I bend over, I want my ass to show. <laughs> you know? I, of course, that's reasonable. Why Why is that not reasonable, you know? Yeah. Um, and all these reasonable requests would come in, and then they stopped being requests. And they start, you know, the scale started getting bigger and the stakes higher, and then suddenly they were, you're not wearing that. Go change. Mm. So, wow. And by that I point, think, it's like... Um, it creeps in so gradually, in. you know, catches you're in it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And how could you know? Because you're being honest. I mean, you were really honest. You were telling him all kinds of stuff that people yeah. might hide, you know, and um, that's, that's difficult. And the flip flop that you mentioned um, before this chat, I, I relate to that too. Cause I, I think that's one of the reasons that people stay in the relationships is because you see good still and you think that that good was mm-hmm. very real and you're just trying to like, oh, I can just get rid of this bad part, you know, like I can. Right. So I can cling on to that somehow. Um, at what You po- fall in love with the potential and not the reality. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's a potential that they presented to you, but isn't. Yeah. Concrete. It's not yeah. real. Exactly. <laughs> not real. Exactly. Uh, now, I know you had some, uh, as many people do in these relationships, it evolves, it affects and it kind of works its way into every aspect of your relationship. How did it affect your uh, sexual intimacy? Uh, that was probably the most traumatizing part of everything. Um, I've heard some other women talk about how, you know, sex was more so demanded and, and forced on them. And I had the opposite. It was withheld. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure now as a control tactic because I was, I'm very much a sexual person. I love sex, very into it. Um, and it make, nothing makes me feel, you know, better and validated than my man finding me sexy and wanting to have sex with me. So, um, we would go almost an entire month or even longer without having sex at all, nothing. And, I would try whatever I just, I would wear a dray. He would come home. I would be, you know, naked in um, heels and a apron baking cupcakes. I got a stripper pole put in our living room and just did, you know, try hard because I could, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if I was unattractive to him. I tried gaining weight. I tried losing weight. I tried doing anything that would make me more attractive. And he told me that, you know, I'm just not feeling sexual, it's not you, you're beautiful, blah, 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 mm-hmm. oh, I don't feel like it, you know, I'm so tired, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what it was, and, you know, I, he was on medication, so I figured maybe it was the meds, and just, I would cry, I would just sit there and cry, and just, be like, I don't understand, like, I just want to have sex, and, it, and it's not being about sex for me and pleasure, and more about my self-worth. And how if we did have sex, I would think, you know, I wanted to withhold it so bad. Like, I wanted to, you know, like finally, like, reach for me. I wanted to be like, no, you know, and be strong and be like, no. Because then maybe, maybe that would make it better. Maybe start having sex more often. Maybe it's because he knows whenever he wants it, he can have it. And I just couldn't. 
I couldn't say no because I'm like, what if this is the only time I can have sex for like another month? You know, <laughs> I have to yeah. go. I have to, to do it. And it really took a toll on, you know, my self-esteem and rejection. And, and even now, um, you know, I have an amazing fiance. And if he is tired, I'm just like, hey, you know, and he's like, oh, I'm tired. I'm like, oh, my God. Wrong with me. (laughs) Isn't that amazing how deep those wounds can go? It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, and you've obviously healed so much, and still there can be these little pieces that we still need to kind of, you know, work through. And what does your fiance think? Have you told him about all this? Yeah, he knows. um, He knows every little gory detail of my past, pretty much, and and he knows about it. It's. You know, obviously, sometimes it frustrates him because there's nothing he can do about it. It's not as bad as it used to be. I think definitely, um, you know, especially we're we're getting married and it's more comfortable. And I know he's going to be around and <laughs> um, we're very happy. So I'm getting more comfortable in my own skin. And I, it shouldn't be, for me, I feel like I shouldn't be this way because it's been years, you know. And I'm frustrated with myself. And, and I think that, you know, he's more frustrated with not from me, but more so that this was done to me. Right. It's still there. Sure, because he loves you and he doesn't want you to struggle, whereas right. a psychopath or a sociopath or a narcissist is, you know, kind of thriving on it in a way because they're having this effect on you. Like, it's not about sharing something or delighting in your pleasure or any of that. And it's interesting because I think so many of the women I have talked to, and certainly I've, I've always felt very, you know, independent even when I was still working on self-worth. I just, it's so important to me to feel that way. And I think we put pressure on ourselves to like, you know, heal faster or, you know, move forward (laughs) faster. And and we hold ourselves up to high standards. So that's, that's difficult, you know, wait, so your, your situation, he actually broke up with you, right? I'll tell you why. Oh, okay. He broke up with me, which, which it's so crazy. Um, so one day he, you know, he leaves the house or whatever, and I'm I'm back to my computer on his hard drive, and I found this huge stash of porn, which immediately just broke me, like shattered me, because here is this man who's been telling me that he has not felt sexual at all, is not interested in sex, et cetera, et cetera, and I find this like major stash of porn, wow. and I couldn't. I could not hide it from him and he came home and I was just like, I just kind of lost it. And, and I had to tell, I was like, you need to choose because clearly, you know, this isn't working. I cannot be in this relationship with you. And if, and if you want, you know, well, you need to decide, is it me or is it your internet whores? Like, what is it? <laughs> and, you know, and he, I had asked him like, why, why, why? And his reply was, cause I'm a guy. And, you know, I'm like, no, that's not an acceptable answer because because I'm a guy, any other normal, you know, I use normal loosely, but normal men, they have a, you know, woman in front of them who is ready, willing, able to have sex that they love, quote unquote. Um, they're going to have sex with a woman over, you know, the solo mission. So to me, his reasoning, it just, it wasn't enough. And so I, I was like, choose, you know, if you can't, it's either it's either me or them because I can't do this anymore. And he's like, fine, the internet whores, fine. Wow. And it's like in in that moment, I just 
like it felt like I felt like I fell apart and at the same time like I could breathe because I knew I I could be free wow so there was relief (laughs) that's interesting and it's you know I interviewed a woman who um found out that her husband at the time who's now her ex was a sex addict and as soon as like she figured him out it Mm. Immediately, like everything, like he kind of just disconnected. He stopped trying to, you know, hide everything and um, not 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 trying to hide things. But he, she saw his true colors, and that it's it's kind of like the mask came off a bit. So he yeah. lost some of his power trip, you know, which yeah sounds somewhat you know somewhat similar. That is that is wow, and and also probably that he needed that final dig with you, like. What 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 lame exactly. thing can he say to you? I choose the internet horror. Like that is, that is the worst. Yeah. I, I just ugh. exactly. Wow. wow. <laughs> exactly. And for me, you know, it was like anything else. You know, him starting to put his hands on me, or him, um, you know, just ripping me to shreds emotionally and mentally. Like that, I could have withstood. I could have kept going I, because I'm stubborn, and and I guess I thought, you know that person he was in the beginning it was my fault it went away and so I had to fix it but when I found you know essentially like a trove of blatant lies you know but there was nothing I could do to make him want me there was nothing and I was it was never going to get better and he was never going to be happy with me and I certainly wasn't going to be happy with him and so you know I I had to. I just, I just had to be like, pick, choose. <laughs> I'm not the kind of person who gives ultimatums, but in that moment, I just, I couldn't go on anymore without sex. You know, I can't. I knew that as a sexual person, I couldn't see a future with someone that I couldn't have an active sex life with. Thank God you found that out. You know, thank God you found oh that God. stash because I've, you know, I, and as you mentioned, your your relationship was relatively short, like a year and a half, but felt yeah. so much longer, and I. I relate to that too. I think people do end up staying in for a long, long, long time. And sometimes they don't even start seeing that part of the person, you know, till later. So that's turned out to be a blessing in disguise. But it sounds like it really played, you know, it took a really big toll on you emotionally. You you even described yourself as unrecognizable. What did you mean by that? I, I felt like a shadow of myself. Like I was so... I was depressed. I had such low self-esteem. I had been isolated from my friends and my family. So they, you know, when they did see me, they were like, what is wrong with you? You know, I was always apologizing. Um, You know, I was just very, I was afraid to be myself, you know, the happy or the social person because all of that had been snuffed out and there really wasn't a lot left in my personality. Like I would be on the phone with my sister and we just laugh all the time and we talk and I'd be laughing and he'd be like, Oh, it's so annoying. And I'm like, so the sound of my laughter annoys you. Like the sound of joy, me happy annoys you. (laughs) So there was every part of me. And at one point I was like, I just feel like you don't like my personality, like who I am. And that began to really penetrate over time that, you know, maybe he just doesn't like who you are. And even at the end of it, when it was all said and done and, like, I'm packing my stuff or whatever, and he's like, I told you not to let me change you. And I'm like, what? 
He like he shoved me into this mold. He shoved me in it and made me try to fit and bend until I broke. And then he told me, "I told you not to let him change you." Like, like I could have, like I had any control over that. Oh my gosh! And you start to feel crazy. <laughs> you know, it starts to feel oh, like totally. Was I having, like, a completely different conversation? Was I having a different – like, this is not – how can you remember these things that I don't remember, you know? I remember feeling Mm -hmm. completely nuts. And he had, you know, wooed and won over all of my close loved ones. So when I would talk to them, it it was kind of like saying this, you know, you know your best friend while she's actually, like, you know, a cactus. Like, it just felt like this completely – opposite thing I would say and so I found that it it even took me some time to because it takes kind of guts and working yourself up to talk to people about it because there's shame around it and then when you do you know sometimes because your self-worth is on the floor and all of that um, once you actually so you broke up and kudos to you that you stayed apart because so many people I moved across the country don't okay (laughs) there you go well that was that why you moved across the country (laughs) Pretty much. I knew I knew if I, you know, moved into a friend's um, place or tried to find an apartment or a roommate or something, I knew two weeks later he'd be knocking on my door. I'm sorry. I miss you. Blah, blah, blah. I knew it. And I just knew, like, this was my moment to get out of it and to start my life over. And I could either stay here and continue this or I could, you know, I could move on. And so I called my mother and I had lost my job like the year before and he wouldn't let me get a new one and all this stuff and so I had nothing I had no money nothing and I just called my mom and I was like help <laughs> so she Did helped me get a U-Haul and okay. everything and the car was on the back of it and I was driving here within five days of our breakup wow were other people surprised did your mom know what you'd been going through or was this kind of like a sudden thing for everyone to learn I didn't really tell my mom too much until, like, later. I had come home for a week because I needed to get away from him to figure out, like, what I wanted to do. Um, I told her a little bit then. But for the most part, I didn't want to tell her anything because I didn't want her to hate him. And I know you notice when, like, you start to tell friends things and they're like, why are you with him? Or I didn't want to hear that from anybody. And so I started to keep that, you know, anything negative I kept to myself after a while because, and he isolated me from anyone that I did say anything negative, you know, about to him. He'd be like, I don't like her. And you just stop talking to her. She's crazy and blah, blah, blah. And, oh, that girl's such a whore. Like, stop talking to her. You can't be friends with her. So it kind of, you know, whittled away at anyone knowing anyways because I didn't really have anyone left. <laughs> Isn't that interesting how it's like you start losing your whole world, like all of your – yeah. Your friends, you know, it's it, there really becomes this sort of island you live on with this one person, and it's this really yeah. scary, scary place. And I just, gosh, I'm so inspired by the fact that you had the wherewithal to say, you know what, I, I need to get not only out of this, but away and start new. And, you know, because so many people I think might know that in their gut, but they also, because there's mixed feelings, you still have this affection for yeah. this good part that you saw and believed in for so long and all that. Wow. So you yeah. moved across the country and what was your healing process like? Did you grieve the relationship or were you kind of like freedom? 
Yeah, well, um, I was very sad, like, the whole way out there. I knew, I I hurt so badly, like, even before I moved, like, I didn't move off the couch, I couldn't shower, change my clothes, I was hurting myself, I was drinking, Um, and that's when, you know, I I called my mother just to tell her that I was broken up, and, um, you know, she was like, if you do not stop with this, then you need to check yourself in the hospital. Like, I don't, she's like, you need to march yourself to the psych ward, check yourself in, because this, you can't keep this up. So she gave me two days to basically get my stuff together, and that's when I called her and told her I needed her. So when I got out there, um, my, her and my sister already got me an apartment. Um, you know, I stayed with my parents for like a couple of weeks just to, you know, get the mommy love and get back to my feet. Uh, it sounds pretty ridiculous and cliche, but I blasted um, Christina Aguilera. That's awesome. <laughs> for like, like I would like play it over and over and Aww. over again and like look in the mirror and sing it to myself and like just to be like, you know, thanks, thank you for this because I knew that eventually it would make me stronger. Hmm. And there was one moment where I was, I was lying in bed and I was thinking about him and then he butt-dialed me. It was so weird. He butt-dialed me and I overheard him talking to, like, the receptionist at his work about how he had to reschedule his um, reservations at this super nice restaurant that we used to go to because of the tsunami. And it was like... Oh my God, my side of the bed isn't even cold right now. And he's going on dates. Like he's dating, like a nice restaurant dating. Uh, what? No. If he's not sad, I'm not sad. And I just like, that was my mantra. If he's not crying, I'm not crying. If he's not sad, I'm not sad. And I just forced myself to go out and to meet people. I, I couldn't be alone. I couldn't, you know, be alone in my apartment like my cat. You know, I had to go out. I went out almost every single night. I just, you know, met people, um, I even met a guy a couple months later that I dated for a year and a half because I told myself, if you hide your heart from other people or you hold back, you, he is still controlling you. So you cannot, you cannot (laughs) be afraid of love and you have to wear your heart on your sleeve. And if it gets broken again, okay, fine. But at least now we know what these signs look like and this won't ever happen to you again. And you have to trust yourself that this will never happen again and just get out there. And I just talked myself through it. Really. I I had to fight past the pain and the bullshit and him calling me and emailing me and all of that. I even saw him after, you know, a couple months before I met my next boyfriend and, uh, it was such an awesome experience because <laughs> <Wow. laughs> I did not feel anything for him again. Oh my gosh. That is so, <laughs> so beautiful. And what I love about everything you just shared is that the messages are universal because if we let ourselves mm-hmm. get hardened, you know, cause we all, most of us go through some pretty big heartache regardless of if we're with a sociopath or not. And if we, you know, if we give them the, the, if we let the heartache win, then, you know, how good are we right. and how good can life be? Exactly. And so, um, that That's huge. What was the biggest lesson you think you learned from the whole experience? Um, I think, you know, I learned mostly that the rebuild that came after all that has been awesome. You know, I've really found what I love. It's about what I love and not what anyone else wants me to do or not do. Um, you know, before him, I dated pushovers and now I found like an amazing balance between a really nice guy who won't put up with my shit. (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> That's awesome. So I really, yeah, you know, I, I in a way, like, I kind of want to send him flowers and be like, thank you for, you know, putting me through such a living hell because I'm so freaking happy now with the person I'm with and myself and my self-worth is so, oh, my God, like, it's so much higher. And, you know, I, I'm confident and I believe in myself and the fact that I've, you know, started my own company and, um, and joined another and, and I'm doing crazy things that I never would have thought at the time that I would be able to do. You know, I think that's the biggest lesson is that no matter how worthless you feel or someone else is making you feel, you're not and you're in control and you, you know, you create your future and that's what I did. And so well, so beautifully well, everything you do is, is about <laughs> empowerment now, which, which I absolutely love. And I feel as you were saying that, I swear I was hearing Christina Aguilera singing that stronger song, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that is the perfect music for that feeling, yes. that breakdown, because she's got this beautiful anger in her, in many of her songs. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's got, you have to sometimes get angry and, you know, let all those harsh emotions out and, and sing from your gut and your soul. And I just, that is, that is so, so beautiful. What's the best thing about your life now? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I can't even pick one. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I'm, I'm doing what I love every single day. I get to wake up and, you know, I, go to the gym and I work out and I love it and I love my fiance and I have fur babies and I love them and you know I've just I've created the life that I I've wanted to live and everything is the best I really can't can't pick one and this conversation like this is it it never gets easier August like it's hard I, I hate it I hate this conversation but I really feel like it's it's so important to help other women. You know, I would never talk about this again if it were up to me, but I know that, you know, I feel like because I have a voice and I have a platform that it's, you know, I'm responsible to hopefully if I can help just one, just one other woman like see, you know, and not have to go through it, then that's, it's worth it. I have no doubt that you will, probably many, and I know that you already help so many, and I'm so grateful, especially because it's hard and because it forces you to go back into those icky wounds, and that you did that for the sake of listeners is just such a gift. Thank you so, so, so much. We are wishing you well in everything that you do, and if there's ever anything that uh, we can do to support you here in Girl Bonerland, feel free to, uh, to reach out. I definitely will. Thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. It's it's been good. Oh, good. I interviewed our next guest through Skype the other day. She is equally inspirational and uh, so insightful. I hope that you will learn as much as I did from our conversation. Uh, Sarah Hay is a lifestyle fashion journalist, or she was for 16 years, covering all of the runway shows in Paris for five years, interviewing all the designers for ID Magazine. Then she had what she calls the breakthrough narc experience, which she says changed her whole life in some really profound and amazing ways. So you consider your ex a malignant narcissist. How did you first meet? Um... Quite literally, I'd gone to dinner with friends in East LA, and they just arrived uh, from the airport, so they had jet lag. So they wanted to go home early. It was nine o'clock. 
uh, I, I wanted to, and I thought, well, I'm not ready to go home yet. So I just went right next door to the bar next door where to get a drink. And I was sitting at the bar on my own, and uh, three guys came up to me, and, and he was one of them. Um, but I, 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 kind, I kind of had noticed him before, but um, yeah, so that it, it's just a, a very everyday uh, dating, meeting experience, really. <laughs> okay, and were you, I know very often sociopaths and narcissists come across as very charming and, um, you know, attractive more so than perhaps the average person. Did you feel charmed by him, or what was his energy like? Absolutely, that like absolutely. You when you meet a narcissist or sociopath or psychopath, they will they they they're very charming. They have this great energy about them. They have this allure about them. They're they're super interested in you. They're asking you lots of questions. And and as a female, well, as a human being, you're like, oh wow, okay, great. You know, I really like this person. They seem to be like on my level, and they're listening to what I say, and you know, so on and so forth. Um, but I now now know that when you are speaking to one of these characters, it's not they're not just asking questions and listening to what you say. They're searching for information. They're looking for they're they're looking for doors and and kind of ways in into your personality to win you over. Wow! And did you feel did he win you over immediately? Did you start dating at that point? Yeah, I mean. Listen, this guy, he presented himself to me as kind of, on paper, everything I was looking for. It was kind of amazing. I literally do remember thinking to myself, well, this is too good to be true. <laughs> and I, I now know that that is a, a common red flag for people when they meet people like this. But so, and, and just to put it into context, about maybe a year beforehand, I'd come out of a, a long four-year relationship that just finished, um, you know, for normal reasons. And I don't know, I was like, I was new in LA, I, I, I was starting new work, I met this amazing guy, I kind of thought this was life giving me a break, you know, I thought this was life chucking me a ball, I was like, hell, I'll take it, yeah, I like this guy, he's cool. <laughs> Man, I can relate to that, I, I went through a, a similar experience, and I remember this uh, feeling of like, everything that, you know, because you go through these relationships and there's challenges and yeah. nobody's quite the right fit and it is such an amazing thing to go, oh my gosh, this he's fascinated by me and we share all of this in common and yeah. it's... They, I, I've also heard a term called love bombing where, and oh I, yeah, I certainly experienced that. Could you tell us, did he, uh, did he do that? Was he wooing you in all kinds of extreme ways? Uh, yeah, like one of the red flags with the narcissist is like they, 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 that you, you're always they're always texting you they always want to see you they're always it moves very very fast and and what feels to an average person is wow this person's really into me um it, it, and wow this is moving really really quickly um and that that is that is them locking you down making sure that you're 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 you're, you're on, you know, they're, they're basically they're, they're locking you down. So within these relationships, you can find yourself being swept up into a, a whirlwind romance. I mean, we were trying on wedding rings. We were like, you know, picking out wedding rings together. He was, you know, saying, oh, you know, if we we planning out when we'd get married, when we'd have a kid and talking to me about like, well, you know, maybe we both need to start thinking about eating healthily because we're going in that direction. I mean, I don't walk around thinking that I'm going to meet uh, sociopathic people, so I thought this guy was straight up. So, <laughs> wow, yeah, I I can imagine most any woman would because they're just so expert in this. And I yeah. know at different times in the relationship, some people realize that there is something off sooner than later. I know your relationship was a bit of a whirlwind. It was not as long as as some and very huh. intense. When did you start to see some of those red flags? Well, 
I mean, if I'm looking back now, knowing what I know, but also I did t- kind of feel it. It's kind of on the first date, but like I would say, the real clear uh, signs would be about um, a month or two in when we started spending time alone in his house. As soon as that door shut in his house and it was just me and him, that's when it would change. Especially, you know. A, after like a few drinks or whatever but not necessarily always so but as soon as that door shut then the bullying would begin and it's like the switch in the personality and that's when you realize you know like when I first met this guy on paper he seemed to be perfect for me he seemed to be have the same politics as me he seemed to have the same world views as me social views as me you know when I started spending time on his own I'm like whoa this guy was coming out with some homophobic comments some racist comments some you know all sorts of stuff I'm like oh hang on a minute this is not the person I thought I met but really the signs were was the bullying the bullying is it was it's quite precise and it's you you can't really do anything wrong right sorry a friend once described it to me where when she first met a narcissist they put you up on this pedestal you're like um uh, you're put into like a beautiful kind of ivory tower like you're the perfect woman and then as soon as they kind of have got you within their, their their grasp, so to speak. Then they start belittling you, devaluing you. They start making you feel that you're doubting yourself, doubting your thoughts, doubting your emotions. I'll say things like you're you're being too sensitive, or that didn't happen, or telling you how to think, telling you how to feel, bullying you, and it gets to this point where you start to become confused. You're not really, you don't even really know where you are or what's up and what's down anymore. Sure, sure, and it's so interesting what you said about closing the doors, it's like he, once he sort of had you, like, you know, yeah. almost a possession, and the yeah. show wasn't going on, I noticed in my experience that, you know, he had wooed everyone that I care about, so they right. loved him, so yes. it was yes. very difficult to talk to people about, because yes. I felt crazy, I felt like, you know, like, it's like telling somebody that this dear friend of theirs is actually an elephant, you know, like, they don't it's very difficult to communicate. It feels like you start feeling very insecure about yourself. You're isolated. You start to feel isolated from your friends. And what's to be realized is, is, is the reason that people go, they, these people go around winning people over, like they, they have to. It's kind of like, I, uh, I'm, I must get these people to like me. Once they like me, then it, and then it's good. And, and then, and then when they have the kind of the victim or the, the partner on their own in the house, that's when they start, projecting the inner self that they have which is something that they hate and it's quite dark and they just start projecting it and it's also kind of like a control thing as well because if your head is spinning your attention is always on them which is why they're called narcissists um they don't need narcissism is about, isn't necessarily about good attention or bad attention it's just about attention so when narcissists are putting you down or bullying you and, and what's happening is you're thinking why is he doing that why is he, how can he your attention is essentially on them constantly while your attention is on them you can't leave them that's kind of uh, a part of the game Interesting. That's why I'm sure I've heard that restraining orders often don't work with narcissists because it's attention. It's like, even if you, if you pick up the phone to yell at them or to say, leave me alone, that's attention. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. So interesting. And that's a power play. If 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 I've got enough power, if the narcissist has got enough power to uh, get solicit that kind of um, a reaction out of somebody, that they get off on that. That's a little high. That's a that's a little you know like um, that's that's kind of like magic dust going through their veins. Mm. Speaking of addiction, every mm-hmm. person I have talked to 
in preparation for the show has used that word. I felt like an addict. I felt yes. intoxicated. I felt like he was my fix. Could you explain what that is? Okay, so that works on many levels. Um, let's. We were talking about the bullying beforehand, so let's start with that. So what was going on with me and being bullied inside this person's house is is your... It's your your system, your your ego, which is basically left over from when we were, you know, living in caves, when we were being hunted and hunting. Uh, they prey on they. It's kind of like that part of our personality is kicked into activation. So you have somebody who's a danger to you. So your mind is absolutely pinned on the danger it's like the gazelle is always going to have their attention pinned on to the tiger so you become addicted in that way because it's it's a protection thing but also you have we have within us uh, in, in all of ourselves and it's something called peptide addiction and so when we experience any extreme emotions it could be joy it could be trauma whatever it is but if it's a repeated emotion our cells uh, peptides get addicted to that so even when you pull back away from the narcissist and you're not even seeing them, you will start feeling that pang and missing them and stuff because it's your, your cells stock up that, that energy inside and, and then they start releasing it again. So there's actually a physical and a chemical reason why you do feel addicted to this person. And then the third reason uh, is um, there's, you know, I, I follow the work of a, a woman called Melanie Tonya Evans who's a narcissistic abuse recovery expert and she talks about, and I, and I do believe this as well, a narcissist basically comes along and it's like a key to all, all they're doing is like they're being a key or a, a torch on all your inner wounds. So all your inner wounds, all your inner child or what, whatever, whatever those wounds might be, are kind of like ripped open by this person and they're, they're asking to be healed. And so you, you're in this kind of, um, space where you're addicted to them, like chemically, you're addicted to them because your 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 fight, fear, and flight is uh is your attention's pinned onto them, and then also uh, the third aspect, which is you know your your inner wounds are basically calling out to be healed now. They've kind of like been ripped open, and that's a hard concept for people to to get their heads around. I understand that, um, but um, that if 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 they want to, they can always look into the work of Melanie Tony Evans. It's really really super interesting stuff. I'm so glad you brought that all up and that you let me know in advance about that because my experience was, you know, over 10 years ago and mm -hmm. that is something that I had never, I knew that, you know, I had to break my, I mean, shatter my own heart to leave. Uh -huh. And now I have this wonderful hindsight where it's almost unfathomable that I was even attracted to him. You know, it's yeah. like, I can't even believe I'm a different person and that experience helped me, you know heal those wounds, but I hadn't, the addiction part, the physiological part really brought a lot of clarity for me. So, so thank yeah. you for explaining that. I appreciate it. There's also another one as well, which is trauma bonding. I mean, that, and we're getting to the uh, area of post-traumatic stress syndrome, but like small little things, for example, like I, even to this day, I can't see it, um, a, the same make of his car. If I see, see it in the street, I used to really jump, like, every time I'd see a car like that. You're always on vigilance, you know. You're always looking for this person. And if people are going through situations or are getting restraining orders, they'll know exactly what I mean. You know, the, the phone, whenever your phone buzzes, when you, uh, a text is coming in or when it rings, you just jump out of your skin because you think it could be them, you know. Oh, definitely. I recall that very, very well. And it going on and on, and it's yeah. that's, that's really, really challenging. So how did you end up, because it is so difficult to leave, what, was there a 
a, a certain turning point for you? You know what? I yeah, the the, la- the last evening I was at his house and he was just bullying me and bullying me. Even like small things like like my British sense of humour, but and going on about why why must the Brits always be like that? But it's not about the British sense of humour. It was about me being wrong. He's projecting an inner hatred of himself and pinning it all on me and using anything that he can find to kind of like verbally and psychologically and emotionally attack me. So. He was going on and on and on about some subject. It was absolutely ridiculous. And then there just a voice just sort of came into my head. It was like, you know what, so you just don't even need to be here. And also, it just feels so painful to be around somebody like that. You know, I can't explain it, but when somebody's telling you that they love you, but with a look in their eye, it's absolute hatred, and the emotion is of hatred, it, that's freaky. Your brain goes into cognitive dissonance, and it's just like, what is going on here? I just knew that something odd was going on. but And so I just, I got an Uber, and I, and I got out. And, um, and, and yeah, okay, so the relationship, it took uh, a little bit to and fro for me to completely pull myself out of it, and there are many different stages to that. But um, in my healing journey, you often go back to memories uh, and, and, you know, to to kind of revisit which parts of you were, or which emotions were being played on at the time so you can heal them. And often when I do those healings, I I go back to those moments, such as that time in the house. And I imagine myself visiting myself in the house and I go up to myself and I put my arms around myself and I just say to myself, Sarah, you don't need to be here. Just take your stuff and leave. (laughs) Oh, that gave me chills. That's beautiful. And I think the healing can go on and on, which is a a big gift. Uh, You talked a bit about your, you went actually through a, a, a basically a, a treatment program geared toward this. Could you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Um, basically, I met um, I met a, a, a girl who knew my ex, and I contacted her, and she was like, "You know what? We should go for a drink. It'd be really interesting." So we went for a drink, and we kind of compared notes about this person, and uh, we were discussing his behaviour. Like we, it was just odd. Like I, I'm I'm old enough to know that his behaviour was just odd. And I was like, "This guy has no empathy. What does that mean when you don't have any empathy? He has zero empathy." And she was like, he has something about shame. He, I feel like when I spend time with this person, he's dumping shame onto me. That isn't necessarily even mine. So I went home and I looked on the internet and I tapped into Google, what does it mean when somebody has no empathy? And up came narcissist, sociopath, or psychopath. Ha <laughs> <laughs> score. <laughs> so I was like, oh my goodness. So let's go for the first one. <laughs> oh my goodness, wow. And so I went on this big, uh, and this is very common to people coming out or, or, or in relationships with narcissists. You just go on this kind of like um, very studious hunt for, an, uh, hunt for knowledge, and you're on the internet, you're searching and searching and searching. And I came across, you know, once the, the word narcissist came up, I started Googling that, and I came across the work of many different people. And I looked at their work, read, it, read their work, and then I came across this woman, Melanie Tonya Evans, who's all the way over in Melbourne. I'd never heard of her before in my whole life. I mean, I didn't even know what narcissist this meant until I met this person but when I looked through the the checklist um, it was like oh my gosh completely so I she has a video on YouTube I listened to the video and I was like you know what this woman is just laying out the line she's speaking in a very clear and direct way that I can understand and then she um, does 
one example of uh, what she calls quantum freedom healing, which is a healing modality that she created. And I did one shift and I felt immediately better. Like it, it just took the pressure off me just for, um, you know, it, it, it felt immediate. So I was like, okay, right. Um, I'm, I'm going to go for this at that point. I mean, I was, I was broken. I was a broken person at that point. I, I was in LA, I was running out of money, but I was like, you know what, hell, I'm just going to spend my last money on her course, which I did. And then I worked that course pretty much religiously for, um, from May until the end of the end of August. Um, yeah, it was re- really intense few months of just really going inside myself and working on those wounds. Interesting. So you actually did, is it like, um, prompts and like journaling and, and thinking and really introspective work? It's, it's, it sounds like it was a really mindful process yeah. and painful. I imagine too, was it difficult to go through those wounds? Oh yeah, like you're, you're, you're. I mean, I'm so much kind. But the thing is, at that point, with uh, and people who have been in relationships with narcissists will know what I mean when I say you, you are so broken. You're in so much spiritual, emotional, and mental pain. You are. I mean, it's the closest I've ever come to dying. And I, a friend of mine who's been through a relationship, he said that to me as well. So you're literally at the point, like an addict, where you've hit rock bottom. You are like, I, I'm either gonna do this and 100% or it's all over for me. So that's, so I applied myself 100% and I sat there and you go within yourself and you meet all the demons and you do that crying and you do the healing. They're guided, they're like guided meditations. She uses a combination of visualization and it would be, it's somatic. So you're feeling in your body where the, the emotional pain is, you're tracking it tracking that trapped energy that's in your body via um, the pain and then you kind of sitting there and asking where that emotion is so if that emotion is sitting in your stomach you'll sit there and you'll ask yourself what is this really about so you kind of take yourself out of the head story he said this she said that blah 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 and it's really just asking that feeling that emotion that's trapped in your body what is this about and listening to it and it will take you it it took me on some quite cosmic journeys (laughs) I bet it sounds really powerful and I'm I'm so glad it was so helpful Uh, you mentioned that the term um, victim can Uh be interesting within the context of of these topics could you speak about that okay so with narcissists and uh, narcissistic abuse of course, in the beginning, like, this person is awful, how can you do that? And you're, you know, you're searching for a sense of justice, or you're wanting your friends to see, you know, can't you see what he's doing, this person is, da 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 But that, the, the faster you can get out of that energy, that kind of, he's the powerful one, and look at what he's done to me, you're, that, you're constantly giving your power away to that person. So, with the healing modality that I Uh, followed and did it's all about they call it being a thriver that you leave the victim energy of he's doing this he said this and it's really unjust to really taking responsibility for yourself and so I as I move through the healing and it it, you know it takes some time but you get to a position where you know you go okay what was going on in me when I went to that bar Um, and I met this person what was going on in me where I let this person be at the point where he was texting and calling me every single day and he was overstepping my personal boundaries to the point where it was uncomfortable but I didn't listen to myself so what was up with that so you really you really start claiming it because at the end of the day nobody 
forces any of us to be in these situations with these people, even though it's really, really hard to leave, it's or feels impossible and you're addicted at the time. But what you really do is you take responsibility for yourself. And that means going inside and often taking responsibility for the inner child, the part of you that is, is asking to be healed. Um, so you pass through that. And where I am with it now is... This whole thing has just changed my life. I mean, I have a different outlook on my career. I have a different outlook with friends, with the way I speak, uh, interact with people. Um, I can spot narcissists straight away, but I'm not afraid of them because I just know, okay, all right, cool. Like, I, I get that that's what that guy's or that person's vibe is, and you just sidestep them. Um, and I feel, feel more conscious and... Um, I mean, it, it's, it's just all been positives. Once I'd got to the point, I'd gone through the most painful part, and then you get onto the part where you're thriving, that is kind of amazing. And you'll kind of look back at it and you go, wow, you know what? I've actually learned so much yes. from going through this. That is so inspiring. I love the idea of going from surviving it to really yeah. thriving and not saying I am, a, you know, a victim, but I was, and yeah. now I'm thriving and becoming the hero of your own life. That's amazing. Um, yeah. You're so insightful, and I'm just so grateful for everything you're, you're sharing today that's so personal. I know it's going to help so many people because right. so many people, especially here in LA, are, I think, oh, um, yeah. meeting these <laughs> kinds of people. Yeah. What? Before I do let you go, is there just one tip, a piece of advice that you could offer for somebody who's listening, who's in a situation, and they just feel like they need to take one step. What is one thing they can do to begin either healing or getting out of that relationship? I would say educate yourself. I mean, the first step that I took was literally going onto the internet. Because if you think in the back of your mind, something isn't right, but even if no one else around you can see it, if you think it's not right, then it's probably real. If you go onto the internet and you start to educate yourself about narcissism, you will start to find other people, other men, other women who have gone through the same thing. Um, it's, and that will, that will start you on the journey of self-empowerment. Because the thing is with narcissists, they run so many circles around you that you start to doubt yourself. And part of the journey of getting yourself back onto solid ground is to go, okay, this is real. This is happening. I'm not imagining it. I'm not crazy. I'm not being over, overly sensitive. So I would say knowledge is power. Get on the internet. And also don't feel, because a lot of, you're going to feel isolated because your friends around you, if people haven't gone through uh, the narcissistic abuse experience, they're not going to understand what you're talking about. And they're going to think, oh, you know what, just, just, um, you know, forget about it, just leave it, leave him, move on, it's forgotten, it's done, it's yesterday's news, or, or just leave, whatever. It's, it's not as easy as that. There are, there are many different stages to this. So I would definitely say the first step to empowerment would be to educate yourself, and there are many resources online for that. Such beautiful advice. If you can relate to that, Yes, please do educate yourself. The fact that you're listening today 
says that you're on that path. So please, please, please keep at it. To learn more about Sarah and the beautiful work her experience and healing have led to, visit her website, www.sarahay.com slash adventures. I highly recommend checking out her uh, recent article on ID.co. It's called Fashion Versus Climate Change. It's super powerful. It has an interview with Naomi Klein. You can also follow her on Twitter, at Sarah HX Hey, Sarah with an H X Hey. And you can follow our earlier guest, Crystal Rose, at X Tall Rose. So at letter X T A L R O S E. I will share those links on my website as well. When I posted on Facebook last month that I was planning to do a show on dating a sociopath, I heard from so many women and some men. One brave woman told me she is in a relationship with a sociopath right now and desperately wanted to help out. I was so moved by that, by her vulnerability and her bravery. I'm going to be sharing the the Q&A that I did with her on my blog within the week or so. For now, she had this brilliant question for our resident um, relationship expert, Dr. Megan Fleming. I've decided to call her Althea, which means healing. Here's her question. She writes... This by far has been the biggest challenge of a relationship and the hardest to end. He has me feeling so dependent upon his approval. I've lost my sense of self. I've heard of trauma bonding and I believe in it. I think I go back to that comfort of the familiar abuse. It's a rush, a drug. He's literally my drug. With that being said, I would love to ask a psychologist, how in the world do you move on and recover? How do you heal? No contact seems obvious, but he doesn't go away. He is so persistent. He calls from unknowns. I fear he will show up at my home. I worry about what he will do if I cut him off. Even worse, I'm so weak, I give in and go back to this head-spinning cycle of being lied to and me feeling insecure and unbalanced. I literally have lost my strength. I've always prided myself in being strong, outspoken, and feisty, but now I'm weak and broken and a little scared. I wish I could hug you right now, Althea. That was really beautiful, honest, and heart-wrenching. Here is what Dr. Megan had to say. Please keep in mind that her thoughts are for educational purposes only, so no diagnosis or treatment regarding a specific medical or psychological condition is being offered. Althea, thank you so much for asking this question because... I know that you're not alone, and I hope that in your asking, other women will also going to have the courage to listen to their own guts and intuition and to really hear their own fears and concerns about a relationship that is really no longer working for them. You know, when someone is dating somebody who's on that narcissistic or uh, sociopathic spectrum, typically these men can be the most approval-seeking, charming, um, amazing men who make you feel sort of seen and known in a way perhaps you've never felt before. But it can go from that uh, incredible bond, and they often seek that intimacy, incredibly uh, that closeness quite quickly, to what can be, quite frankly, living in a nightmare, which is some of what you're describing. So you've already noticed that there's a huge impact on your losing your sense of self, that you're feeling insecure, unbalanced, and not trusting your decisions. And I'm inviting you to listen to your gut and intuition that this relationship isn't healthy for you. In a healthy relationship, sure, there are ups and downs, but in general, you always feel like your partner has got your back and that you're growing together. I'm hearing that you fear and can't maybe, I can't in this moment really assess the likelihood that this man could harm you physically, but I do know that he has harmed you and been emotionally abusive. And I can tell that from your description of how you're feeling about yourself. Physical violence is a whole nother level of threat 
And if you're feeling physically unsafe, I strongly encourage you to speak to a counselor or therapist and perhaps seek an order of protection, certainly if that feels necessary. You and I both know that that feisty, strong, outspoken woman is still a part of you and really who you are at your core. Those who fall under the spectrum of narcissism or sociopaths, they don't typically feel the consequences, have empathy, or take true responsibility. That generally is not prognostic for the ability for this relationship to improve or change without real help and therapy. There's often something to be said about what you call trauma bonding, and I call it the unconscious collusion. If you've known an abusive environment, then you kind of have muscle memory for that experience. And although it's painful, it is an imprint of love that you've known. And our bodies do have an unconscious way of recreating what's known because it's familiar, even when it doesn't feel good. It can, in fact, like you said, feel like a drug. However, when a relationship hits a tipping point that you're losing all sense of who you are, that strong, feisty part of you, it seems to me the only options are you to find safety and support in friends and family to leave this relationship or to use your leaving as the only leverage that will likely help you both get into therapy. And I suggest you might want to read a book by Wendy Bahari, and that's spelled B-E-H-A-R-Y, called Disarming the Narcissist, as it's a great place to start. I'm wishing you the best on your path to healing. Days like today, I am extra grateful for the chance to chat with you all here every week. I just know that somebody out there, maybe many somebodies, will hear this and hear Crystal's words and Sarah's words and their stories of trial and triumph and start cultivating positive change in their lives. If you're one of them, just please know that there's hope that you're not alone. So many people are struggling with this. You're not crazy. There's nothing wrong with you. And you can get out of it and have honestly the the most passion-filled, amazing life. One thing that really helped me get out of my relationship with a sociopath was having a passion in my life. That has actually saved me many times. And I can't emphasize enough how important it is to have something to fight for, even if you're only fighting for finding something you're passionate about. It's life-changing and it betters the world for everyone when we follow our passion. So please know that passion is everything it can save your life. I really believe that. And the other thing that really helped me that the others mentioned as well was confiding in loved ones. If they don't believe you or take you seriously, try again or talk to somebody else. You know, find someone who will cheer for you, who will support you. You are worth it. And there are, you know, experts out there who can give you more um, unbiased if you're concerned about them being too close to your situation and that kind of thing. But no matter how hard or bad it feels now, it doesn't doesn't have to. We will carry this conversation on next week with Dr. Wendy O'Connor, a psychologist here in Los Angeles who is an expert in this very topic. I cannot wait to hear what she has to say. Feel free to send me your questions if you'd like to offer up some of your own curiosity to, for us to address, um, both for Dr. Wendy and also Dr. Megan's. Dr. Megan's going to have another segment. So we're taking listener questions. I've gotten some great ones on Twitter this last week. You can send those to me and Dr. Megan. Her Twitter handle is at Megan Fleming, Fleming with an F and one M, PhD. 
or me, August McLaughlin, adding the hashtag girlboner and or ask Dr. Megan. For more empowering, fun, education, inspiration, all that kind of stuff, make sure you subscribe to Girl Boner Radio on iTunes. If you enjoy what you're hearing, I hope you'll post a simple review. doesn't need to be fancy. They really help keep us going. You can also stream and sub- subscribe to episodes on my um, website. You can also subscribe to my blog there. I'm running this series for the whole two weeks on my blog as well, so there's going to be all kinds of different information and resources. I hope you'll also connect with me and the whole Girl Boner community who I adore on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening, and please have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. 